an A to Z of UK TV drama with Andy and Martin. back to an A to Z of UK TV drama with me, Andy. And me, Martin. Hello. How are you doing, Andy? I'm doing very well, all things considered. I um, did a, a last minute sort of, we'll go to the beach because it's summer thing a few days ago, um, two, <laughs> two days ago. Um, and I even swam in the sea, even though it really was not sea swimming weather, but um, did it. In September, for Yes. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> Crikey. Oh, no. How are you? Oh, well, that'll, I'm, I'm, I'm ticking along. A bit, bit throaty today. I apologise to everybody for that. But, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm suffering from insomnia. Uh, I'm, I'm finding I'm on this kind of this 20-hour cycle at the moment. So I seem to be waking up earlier and earlier and earlier. And, and yeah, so I'm absolutely, to be fair, I'm absolutely shagged out today. <laughs> I'm absolutely knackered. So uh, this, this could make no sense at all. Well, we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> we'll try. Because we have reached, we have reached the letter Q. We have. And, and and let's face it, knowing me as everybody doesn't, <laughs> they all know what we're doing for Q and we're not doing that. <laughs> Indeed. You'd expect this to be your big Quatermass episode, but no, we are instead yes. doing a question of attribution by... By a Mr. Alan Bennett. Yes. Yeah, Mr. Alan Bennett, directed by John Schlesinger. But, but Alan Bennett is, is one of those... Uh, writers that you always feel you should talk about at some point, and and we have decided to talk about him. <laughs> but the interesting thing about it is, is that whenever people you actually say to people, "Oh, we're, we're going to watch this Alan Bennett thing. We're going to talk about Alan Bennett," they'll go, "Oh," and they all have that idea of him from um, Spitting Image. They always think it's going to be cozy and lovely, and oh, isn't it great? You know. I was born in Leeds, <laughs> the time 1934, which in those days was just gone half past seven. Communication in our family wasn't uncomplicated, partly because my mother used to call my father dad, and my dad used to call my mother ma'am, which meant I was, in fact, my own uncle. And, and the, man, the man writes hard, brutal stuff. He, and he, writes, he writes some serious, serious, dark material. Yeah. So uh, I think I think it's an interesting thing. So so a question of attribution. Do you want to do a quick synopsis? I can do. Um, so it is the story of Sir Anthony Blunt, 
who was the surveyor of the Queen's pictures and the personal art advisor to our Queen. And Mm -hmm. the play, the television play or film, whatever you want to call it, is about his interrogation by a new MI5 officer who was trying Mm. to find out the identity of the fifth member of the Cambridge spy ring. Um, Mm. So you've got Philby, Burgess and McLean and Blunt is the fourth. Who's the fifth? Humphrey Palmer. (laughs) (laughs) What was that? You coughed? No, 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 nothing. nothing, nothing. (laughs) And it's a very intense, claustrophobic piece just exploring his Mm. position as the Queen's Art Advisor and as this, this fourth member of the Cambridge Spy Ring and will he reveal the fifth person and mm. who knows about his past as mm. a, a Soviet agent during the war, mm. passing information to the Ruskies. Um, the swine. I, the swine. Is he yeah. a traitor? Yes, he is. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, Sir Anthony Blunt is one of those people who's nobody had ever heard of until he was exposed as a spy. Yes, now everybody, everybody knows, thinks they know everything about him because he was exposed as a spy. <laughs> and let's face it, what, what do we know about him? Oh, yes, he was a spy. <laughs> Wasn't he the spy? <laughs> he, that's, that's the fella. 1979 exposed as a spy. <laughs> should say that... Lip, um, lip, sorry, in comfort. Yeah. I should say that um, it's a hugely allegorical piece and oh, it's yes. looking at the work of Titian, two particular pieces, um, one in particular in which the, a mystery th- third figure is revealed hidden behind mm. the, um, the paint. Um mm. Eventually, I think there are five figures in, on this piece there by Titian, which, which is, is a, which is lucky. <laughs> yes, a lucky match <laughs> with the five of the Cambridge Spy Ring. So, yes, that is all I have in the way of a, a summary. But we can uh, say a lot more about its journey to TV, I guess. It uh, well, it was a stage play first, wasn't it? For the, yeah. was it the royal royal court or the royal, yeah, yeah, uh, national theatre. I thought it was the royal national court. Theater. How weird that I thought it was that as well. Anyway. It's all, it's all that Royal Academy that they keep going on about. Maybe, I think. yes. It messes up your brain, you know. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I've, I've got it running on screen in the background here, and um, Jason Fleming has just walked in carrying a painting. Well, he would, not he? Ah, but at least it gives us a Quatermass connection. <laughs> ah, tell me about that. Well, uh, Jason Fleming played uh, Bernard Quatermass in the live version they did uh, on the anniversary of live television in, in 2005, so... Yeah. So there we go. He, he, we have a, we have a Quatermass in the room. So I'm, I'm quite happy now. Oh, well <laughs> done. That's good. That's that's filled your cue quotient. Indeed, it has. Yeah. So there we go. I just thought I'd mention that while he was there. So what I hadn't yeah. realised was that Alan Bennett played Blunt in the original National it, Theatre production in '88. Did indeed, yes. And Simon Callow played his interrogator. Um, mm. So this transferred to TV three years later. Mm. We have James Fox as Blunt. And David Calder as Chubb. And let me just say, I think he's glorious. Um, I think they're both glorious, to be fair. Well, I didn't see the National Theatre. Oh, you mean James Fox and David Calder. Yes, sorry. Yes. Yes. And of course, we have have Prue. We have Prue. Dear Prue, who was in both. Yes. So, can I ask you, what was your first experience for Question of Attribution? It was watching it this this uh, this version I'd not I've not seen it before at all. A friend of mine I was having a conversation with the other day actually has done it on stage. Yes, ah. they've, they've they've done because yeah, the stage play is available for so he's in Amdram, and um, 
he's actually done a production of it and I said to him oh how does that work then I mean do you have what do you do with because there's there's lots of photographs in this and I'm assuming they're not actual photographs of people who uh, were actually suspected of being spies. I mean, maybe for the BBC they can get access to the files. <laughs> but, what, but but when you do it as a stage play, as an amateur production, he says, oh, we just went and raided our old cupboard. So he says, the first shot that you see on stage is me dad. <laughs> Brilliant. And I said, oh, so who did you get to be the, the guardsman? <laughs> <laughs> he said, oh, we just, we just have to go online and get a suitably rude picture. A suitably mm. rude picture, indeed. Suitably rude picture, um, yeah. which will will doubtless come to, as it will. So, my experience of this again, the same, first time. Although, mm. I must have been in a period of watching the Baftas back in the early nineties, because I, I tend to not see, watch it anymore. But back in nineteen ninety two, I remember I must. Well, I now realise I must have watched that ceremony because mm. I can't remember. I remember them keeping showing the clip of the Queen. Um, ah. The famous scene in this, where the Queen and yes. Anthony Blunt have a meeting in in one of her galleries, and I remember it coming on twice on the night of that Baftas because Prue was nominated for Best Actress, and the drama was nominated for Best Single Play, which it won. But I, that's the only time I'd ever seen any clips from it, and I remember there was a great hurrah about it, and mm. that, that she was amazing as the Queen, and mm. that it was a brilliant scene, and it is, I think. I used to sit and uh, write down the winners of the BAFTAs. Ah. I used to sit, sit there with my notebook ah. in, in those days, but uh, I stopped doing that fairly rapidly. <laughs> I, stopped, I, stopped, I stopped watching award shows. <clears throat> yes, and, you um, said. For, just because they got so annoying, you know. But... Uh, <laughs> But the um, but yeah, back in those days, I was oh that was what you know. I think actually what happened was when you when they split it between film and television. Yeah, I kind of sort of lost interest. I in mean, it. I can't even remember whether they started. Was that they didn't start adding a soap one, did they? At some point, I can't remember now. Anyway, whatever. I just, I just yeah, it wasn't for me anymore. It was, a bit it was more a that they and... they added an award for the soap into the TV one, which was. Longest was it the People's Award? Was it the Did the other people? People, the people vote for it. Yeah, Vox Pops. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. People vote for, don't uh, they? <laughs> no, but <laughs> it was. Um... I'm putting on me blunt now, aren't I? <laughs> yes, <laughs> intolerable, intolerable. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, it was the. Con- it's when they started calling soap continuous drama, and I was like, no, sod off. <laughs> I know there's some good actors in soap, but don't pretend yeah. that it, anyone calls it the longest continuous drama. Shitting award, no. You've got to keep things popular for people, don't you? Oh, well, no, you don't. This is the engage- thing. Well, no. Well, they feel you've got yes. to engage. You've got to engage other because you know, you've got to engage with everything. And this is yeah. the, this is the peculiar thing about it, really, because what in the end, I think it. Dim- okay, yeah, maybe I'm just being an ass, but I just think it, di- it diminishes a lot. It does of 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 these things, and actually, okay, yes, you want the audiences, you want people to take an interest but I think sometimes you you lose something as well as you go along the way. And I think also the divergence of TV and film for BAFTAs was, mm. I really was angry about it because I felt within that there's a definite implication that TV is the poor cousin of film mm. and I think the way they started presenting it, it made you really feel like well actually they're, they're mm. trying to compete with the Oscars now more mm. and the TV is kind of, oh it's down there, it's not so important mm. and I am someone who passionately believes in the importance of TV in fact, more than film, I prefer TV to film because of the development of characterisation and the fact it's not always so helicoptery to use one of your phrases. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, see, the, the other thing about this is that uh, when you when you look up 
this particular production, it, it actually is is listed as a film. You know, so and and of course it's a film that's it's seventy minutes. It's not a long film by any no, stretch of the imagination. No. You know, it's it's uh, it's a seventy-minute piece. So it was uh, screen one, was it screen two? Yeah, screen it? one. Yeah, yeah. So it you know it was made for television as a television movie, and you know, but shot on film by, like I say, an acknowledged film director. And it's it's a very good production. It kind of splits into three. I'd say three parts. Really, mm -hmm. you'd say it's uh, the, the and the middle section is probably the bit with HMQ. Yes. Um, and I don't really know, as a stage play, whether it has two acts or whether it's a, a sing, you know, a one act play. Nor, nor I. No. But, yeah. but being being an hour ten minutes, possibly. I, I did wonder. There's there's a segment in the middle where is where um, Jeffrey Palmer meets him on a park bench. Yes. And that felt like that was where the interval was. <laughs> yes. If if you were in a theatre, that's where you'd put the interval. But I don't know whether it has an actual. Interval no, that makes right. sense. To Maybe me. I should have done my research a bit more on that. But no, so, no, that makes sense to you me. Know. Yeah, but I think it's it, it felt like the Act One finishing kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, because that kind of turns things on its head a bit. Because you suddenly realise it's very Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, isn't it? It's mm, very much like you realise that oh, okay, so this guy is running these agents, but in fact. Mm. In, in this, the suggestion is he's the fifth, isn't it? That's well, it's it's implied. It's, yes, it's, it's very much implied in the, uh, yeah. in the in the in the way it's written. Beautifully written piece, by the way. Absolutely gorgeously written. It is. I mean, although, I, can I confess to something? The first okay. ten minutes, some of the dialogue yeah. went over my head, and I thought, right. "Ooh, am I not intelligent enough for this?" <laughs> right. Okay. Um, you see, I I, I think that it, it depends. I I think sometimes. You you can get there's a lot of very lazy writing, uh -huh. and what I think is that the, the proper crafts people writing, yeah. like Alan Bennett is, yeah. every single word matters. Yes, I and agree. once you start to realise that every single word matters, you start to look at each word, uh, each phrase very carefully. I mean, basically, the very first thing you see in this is was it mouth take a mouthful and swallow. Now you can read that. <laughs> Gosh, in however many, but that in, it's it, okay. You can overread that. You can yeah. overread that. But actually, that's a very clever way of, shall we say, defining our our lead character. Yes. Who we're not. Who we might. We might forgive for, for begatting the Lawrence, but not yet. <laughs> no, not at the moment. Not this week. My God. That's, that's why. That's why Jimmy the Fox loses a few points with me. Yes. <laughs> not. It's not his fault. Well, I don't <laughs> know. The, but let's just let's just say Billy Piper's well out of it, isn't she? God. <laughs> Bloody Nora. Um, Won't yeah. be doing Lewis when we come round to L again, that's for sure. No, not now. <laughs> not now. No. <sighs> um, yeah, but so... Let's not dwell. No, maybe not. <laughs> bit of politics there, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just felt a bit lost in those early scenes because I felt like I don't right. really know what's going on. Mm. And David Calder was wonderfully... Twinkly in those first scenes, and I thought, oh, oh yeah. I like him; he's good. But I didn't realise quite how good he was going to be. Um, and Worthy mentioned to Edward D'Souza as well as playing the retiring MI5 officer, the guy who's been taken off the case because all he's managed to work out is what food Blunt likes. Was it? Yeah, something like that. It <laughs> yeah, wasn't much. Yeah, no. Yeah. After 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 however many years he's been on. The... Well, basically, what happens is that 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 Blunt was 
out was they knew he was a spy but they they basically decided not to out him as a spy as long as he gave information to MI5 about people and they've basically spent several years with watching him sort of talk about art a lot yeah and and look at lots of photographs and not actually tell them any details at all about anybody yeah now you could you could say that's that's his that was his sense of rebellion. You could say it's his sense of um, what would you call that? You you could just being being bloody minded. He's bloody minded. Frankly, He's a pompous, bloody minded wants, tough. Yes, just wants to get on and do his art thing. Yes. Thank you very much, and leave me alone, all you people. Yeah. So the interesting thing is this: this thing that goes on in his life that uh, he basically finds a massive, massive pain in the ass. Yeah. Whilst being a massive pain in the ass. Yeah, and you, what you get straight away is you get these two worlds, although they're not that dissimilar worlds. But David Calder's world is very suburban, very you know what we would call ordinary household lives lives in a semi-detached in is it Purley? Oh yes, and the the drudgery of Purley is just brilliant. Purley. Oh, and and then you've got <laughs> Sir J, Sir Anthony living in this you know sort of almost regal splendor. Yes. And and sort of hobnobbing with the great and the good, and basically, for want of a better word, taking the piss. <laughs> totally, totally. And he's just, he remind. It was kind of difficult, a difficult watch in the sense that he just reminds you of all of these sort of like Tory peers who are stalking around London right now, and you know, oh, just the sort of type that um, Brexit is going to make more more financial and more yeah, financially. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Of course, I, it points against uh, David Calder because because his character Arthur Chubb is is reading the Daily Mail. When we first <gasps> so, but I think uh, you could then almost it's still you not could a, almost read the Daily. You Mail. could almost read the Daily Mail in 1991. Oh, actually, not without, 1991 because it's 1979, isn't it? <laughs> There's a bit of confusion about um, about dates because mm. it feels like this happens over a period of months or weeks, but. Mm. Or even years. I mean, yes, I, but I, get, I get the impression that two of the doctor's appointments are supposed to be a year apart. Oh, okay, right? right. Well done. But, Good research. But um, but in fact, I mean, it was over six years that the second mm. MI5 officer mm. was talking to him, and you know, from the early seventies through to seventy nine, mm. when it was the the um, the final revelation, which was forced on yes. Thatcher to reveal, wasn't it? Which isn't mm-hmm. part of the drama, but in reality. Well, this is it. I mean, because I mean, Thatcher arrives in in our lives as as the big chief in May nineteen seventy nine. So, yeah. Uh, and yes, this uh, again, kind of uh, how Tories work, you know. <laughs> but it's just, it's just, you know. Oh, this was all hushed up. Oh, we've got to expose it, and blah, 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 and you actually, you know, you just have to be seen to be different, and it just. Bloody, I mean, okay. In this example, maybe it's not the worst thing, but it's just the way they do it all the time. They're the same old. Yeah. To it's always to it's always no. It's always to feather their own nest. It's always Mm. diversionary tactics. It's self interest. Yes, always. It's never for the public good, ever. No, of course, obviously, you know, um, uh, Blunt was always acting in his own self interest. So you know. Yabu sucks, and 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 to these to these worlds, you know. But oh god, you know, it's just it's just 
I mean, let's face it, he, he was he was dead within five years, you know. Yeah. Um, so this uh, presumably whatever all... I mean, I'm not actually quite sure. I mean, you, when you look at the structure of it, you, you, you get the medical stuff and you kind of think, oh, is, it, is, is this basically implying that... It, you know, they've got to work quickly because he's he's dying. But basically, every time he goes and sees his doctor, the, the doctor seems to find him quite well. So is is that another of his, you know, fakeries? Or, oh, possibly, possibly, because the whole the whole point of the character of Blunt is that he's just as much of a fake as the paintings, layer that, upon layer yeah, upon layer, exactly. Upon layer. Mm. Although there's an interesting angle on that because mm. what he's saying about well what is a fake because a painting mm. being a fake is more about perception and what you expected it to be and how things can yeah it's all that stuff. Well, there's that there's that scene where he's with the art restorer mm. and they talk about the three levels and he and he sort of he already feels that he's he's you know an art what I can't even remember what the expression is but like the first type know themselves the second type will know when they've been told and the third will never know yeah and he, and he feels that he will he sort of scrapes the second which makes him makes him feel a terrible fraud as an art historian mm-hmm. and um of course then you actually look at what the, the painting that that the, a lot of the story revolves around is this uh this supposed titian mm. which features a portrait of titian on the left hand side a painting in the middle and a, and a dark space on the side which at this time, the uh, at the time they are restoring it, they find a third face, third man, uh, <laughs> in in the darkness, in in the in the ordinary part of the painting. Stand back and tell me if there's something odd about the picture. Uh, it's lopsided. Very good. Two figures, and you feel there ought to be a third. So I'm just seeing whether we're right. Very, very carefully. Now, can I ask something that really confused me massively? Mm-hmm. And it's to, specifically to do with the painting and its location. Mm-hmm. So the painting is later on in hanging in the in Buckingham Palace, presumably. In, uh, in Bookhouse, I Yeah. <laughs> and that is obviously... That is obviously a few years after it's been restored by him. Yes. And then he's taking it away again to have another look. That didn't seem to make... Because it was only a few scenes back that it was in his art restoration workshop. So that just confused me. But that was the idea, was it? It had been restored, it had been put up, and then he wanted to have another look. I think so. Okay. Yes, I think so. Okay. That, had, that um, kind of passed me by a little bit. In ter- certainly in terms of the narrative, that makes sense. Because mm. it, also, it also explains, well, why he ends up at Buckingham Palace at all, really. But, but the, the fascinating thing about that, from, from my point of view, is the, um, the supposed Titian. Uh, when, when they look at it, when they're talking about this three scales thing, and you say, well, that's obviously not painted by him. And you look at it and go, is it? It looks exactly the same as the other one to me. <laughs> right, yeah. So sort of art copiers and art fakes, and, and, and when does a fake become legitimate yes. over time and all this kind of thing. So that's another subtext to a lot of the conversations they have. Because let's face it, it's a good painting, a good painting, but it's not as good because it wasn't painted by a particular person, even though it looks like a perfectly... Well, and it's of the yeah. period. And it's of the period. Mm. Who's to say that it's not as valuable? You know, it's it's mm. all about perception and position and all that stuff. 
absolutely. So it's a really clever yeah. allegory for the whole drama, I think, this, this mm. art um, mm. issue. And the other side issue around the art, which I really enjoyed, was what art is for, and mm. particularly the, the horrendous um, Tory peer toff world of hell where they don't want art to be for the public and just yes. and just we don't want the grubby people coming into our galleries and look we did this the speech at the end which is very i know we're skipping to the end but it's very much mm. very much makes blunt to be seen to be a hideous odious man when you say mm. oh look we got the we let the public into these galleries Wahaha, wasn't that a mistake and yeah. it's it's about art for the privileged and it's just an awful idea that someone who runs this art institute actually believes this to be the case and that you shouldn't let mm. the public have art. I was art critic of The Spectator. And young as I was, I thought art was in the front line. I sang the praises of realism from Rembrandt to Rivera. I deplored Picasso and abstraction. Inaccessible to the people, I suppose. But what none of us realized was that the people would mean the public to the extent that it does today. Amen. The crowd have got into the museums. The young men have gone into art. And those big county girls who once upon a time would have been concentrating on making a decent Victoria sponge now send me theses on the theory of light in Giovanni Bellini. <laughs> and so when everybody nowadays is, as they say, into art, be that for better or worse, I give you the toast, the Royal Academy of Arts. Well, there's that very telling scene when he's trying to explain this painting to David yeah. Calder's character, and he basically the public are coming through the gallery, yeah. and he just insists on closing it and yeah. shooing everybody out, and you know this this part of the gallery is now closed, and then. And then this, these elder, this elderly couple, is it Barbara Hicks? Barbara Hicks, who I love. So she, <laughs> she is the housekeeper in the film of Howard's End, and it's a lovely right. small role. But I was like, and she's in a Miss Marple as well. But right. she's a lovely character actor who isn't that well known, but she should be because she's brilliant in this as well. These two women who've come all the way from Petersfield to see. This. Yes, Petersfield, yes. and they're friends of the National Gallery. Yes, so they, that should they, give they them enough. Insist on going beyond the rope. <laughs> Yeah. Fabulous little scene. But and, I was kind of really supportive of them. I was supportive of them. Yeah, absolutely. Fucking turd. Excuse me. Excuse me. Is this room closed? Yes. Why? We've come up from Petersfield. I'm working, madam. Oh, well, I'm sure we won't disturb you. I'm a friend of the National Gallery. Well, a friend of a friend, anyway. Go on in, Betty. You won't even know we're here. I mean, you actually just try and go to the theatre these days. The, the actual ticket prices astound you. Yeah. And and, and you know, and I know that people say, oh well, people will pay the same for their football season tickets or whatever. But you know, it 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 is expensive. And if theatre's not your thing, I mean, there are you know, if theatre really isn't your thing, you're never going to be encouraged to go and see it. But it's not so much that theatre isn't people's thing, it's people think it's not for them because they're told it's not. And the price tag tells them that because it's inaccessible. And that's one of the, yes. the wonderful things about lockdown is the fact that theatre mm. is suddenly more accessible um, oh, yeah. monetarily and physically in terms of practical access. 
And mm-hmm. I do think this this should be a bit of a wake up call as to how theatre needs to monetize through television. I think mm-hmm. that's my well, view yes. on that. <clears throat> the um, the um, certainly the NT lives that they showed seem to seem to have got an audience that they wouldn't otherwise have gained. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've, I mean, obviously because we're based in North, we don't really get to London. Uh, Near so, lad, but we, but but we have we have been to a few of the things at the cinema when they've been on, you know, and, you know, and they are a very good way of just experiencing the live theatre. I know people say oh, it's not the same, but you know, you get the performances, you yeah, know, and yeah. and actually you get you sometimes get a better view, quite frankly. Yeah. But there we go. Can I just talk a bit about um, Chubb? Um, I think that David Calder does a brilliant, brilliant performance as this oik character who pretends, I, I think, well, I'll see mm. what you, you think, pretends to be more of an oik than he is. And he actually is desperate. He does want to know more about art, but I think he also knows more than he lets on to begin with. Well, he's a spy, isn't he? He's a spy, yes. and that's the thing. Actually, I think that whole thing with his wife and that house was set up. It's a, it's a safe house. I don't think it's really his house. Oh, really? No, 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 I don't know. Oh, but wow, the thing about I feel it is, like I've been so naive now. No, no, it's what I mean is that it's interesting when I say about the two worlds of Blunt's world and his world. Mm. Um, but the thing about it is, is I'm not convinced because his world is still amongst the spy people. It's still, you know, he sits at the posh tables with the people and everything like that. Now, in the course of this, he's he's claiming to want to learn about art, isn't yeah. he? Yes. And and so he sort of gets the postcards. But I but I think he's shrewder than that. I don't. I I actually think that that he knows from day one what he's dealing with here is one of those uh, I mean you know I, I mean the the Edward D'Souza I mean let's say we love Edward D'Souza you know he's one of those actors that's been well, was around forever you know did everything you know uh, as, a, as a kind of face you recognize yeah from from the 60s the 70s the 80s beyond yeah and um, he's in he's in the last sapphire and steel isn't he yeah, yeah. but anyway <laughs> but no but um you know, he's he's one of those... But he actually looks like one of the poshos. And it's like David Cold has been bought in because he's he, he looks more like the riffraff, you know. And what that means is that he'll be underestimated yes. by... by um, And so I think he plays up to this, this See, thing. I'm sat this here, I'm sat I'm here feeling really gullible now because you just made it really clear that that was all a complete sham. And I, I thought some of it was, but I didn't realise quite how far that went. Well done. Well, well, it probably wasn't a safe house. It was, probably was his house. But I was just thinking, if you if you were being very devious and watching enough James Bond films, no, I think you're right. I, I think you're right. You know, this is my den. Wait will I just clear the decks for fraction? I don't need this for a start, do we? Ah, there. That gives us a bit more room to manoeuvre. Now, if I could just take you through some of the basic details, it's as much for my benefit as yours. A blunt, Anthony. Educated at Marlborough, Trinity College, Cambridge. We went through Marlborough last week. Oh, that's a pretty place. It's the kind of place Mrs. Chubb likes to stop for a cup of tea. One tends to say Marlborough. Really, I never knew that. So I've learned something already. Arthur, I'm just going on to the end. Nothing you want? No. <laughs> of course, you never married, did you, Sir Anthony? No. Just thought I might have missed it. 
uh, I've watched this and I watched it the second time and I, I realised how much I'd missed first time through. Yeah. And I thought, oh well, I'll just I'll just stick it on this morning just to make sure I'm still in the zone for it, you know. And I was watching it again. I think, oh, I missed that as well. The bit where he gets the phone call while he's at the art restorers. Yeah. I, I was thinking, oh, that's interesting. But then you cut to this event at the gallery. And not one of these hideous parties, a bit like when we were persuasion. It's like it's, it's like a repeat of persuasion. Oh right, yes, yes. This, this ghastly party, and yes. you've got the um, Van Gogh yellow chair, and there's this figure standing in front of it, which is Jeffrey. It's Jeffrey Palmer. Yeah. And and you think, and he has a bit of a, a natter with him, and then he goes to see David Calder, and you think, ah, oh, that's uh, interesting. I've, he's already been wised up. Yeah, by Jeffrey Palmer's uh, Don Levy. Yeah, Don Levy. Yeah, uh, the character who is who is basically David Calder's boss. Yeah, and may or may not have been the fifth man, yeah. depending on how you read the text. Really, yeah. it's interesting though, just to say on that fifth man that we now know who the fifth mm. man is, don't we? But we mm. didn't in 1991. That's right. So is it James Cairncross? Is that his name? Uh, Something like you that. Probably, I'll, I'll, you've probably looked that up and I haven't. Yeah, I did look I'll it up. I just, it was yesterday, so I don't remember his name. But... <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, yesterday. Yesterday. <laughs> that long, long time ago. Our trouble seems so far away. Now. Here we are today. <laughs> hey! Good work. Um, go. One is kicking, kicking one's heels. <laughs> we have to talk about how wonderful Brunella Scales is as HMQ. Well, this is this is the second act, really, isn't okay. it? This is yeah. where 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 the the um, the young man who is played by um, where is he? Where's he gone? Phillips. Yeah. Mark Mark Payton. Yeah. Uh, who seems to be quite seems to be quite jealous of David Calder's relationship. Or yeah. Like, now of Chubb's relationship with yeah. with Blunt, his student, his uh, his his young student. Uh, he's suddenly asked if he owns a suit. Yeah, his and young, his, his young. I don't think he's attractive personally, but young male student. There's definitely more yeah. going on there, isn't there? Yes. Is is dragged off to the palace yeah. to help it, help him examine uh, this this painting. Yeah, and and at, the, at that point he meets someone who uh, is played by Jason Fleming, who is right Cockney geezer really, but uh, looks the part of a public schoolboy and therefore gets away with the job. Yeah. Which I always think is a, is a lovely, lovely moment. Yeah. And uh, these two lads are assisting um, <clears throat> Blunt with this painting, and but Blunt is completely focused on the painting. He's yeah. up this ladder; he doesn't know anything that's going on. When this corgi <laughs> trundles, in, it trundles, trundles in <laughs> into into this. Uh, is, it, is, it a, is it a hallway? What's it, what does he refer to it as? It's kind of like a, it's the the attic for rich people. Well, it's definitely a gallery, really, isn't it? It's a galleried mm. hallway. Yes, in Tut Palace. Yeah. Yes, and uh, it's but it's it's where they keep all their knickknacks. <laughs> <laughs> yes, like an ormolu <laughs> clock, ormolu clock. Yes, and 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 the like. Yes, and um, and anyway, uh, so this and they both suddenly realise because the thing is that. Ermage and the boss, or whichever way around you want to. Yeah. Their boss. Let's uh, call her Liz. Let's call her Liz. 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 <laughs> or HMQ and and uh, 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 chaps off ch with his carriages and his horses. Yes. <laughs> For the day, we know who that is. Yeah. Um, who, uh, and who uh, and and Liz uh, is supposed to be opening a swimming pool. Yes, it sounds wonderfully, terribly parochial, doesn't it? 
but the swimming pool is spr- sprung a leak. Yes. So it was officially filled on Friday, leaked on Saturday, and she was supposed to officially open it on Sunday. And so she's a bit of a loose end, kicking one's heels, meandering around the palace. And um, lo and behold, it, it comes to pass that they have a meeting. And how did we accumulate this particular picture? Uh, it belonged to Charles I, ma'am. King Charles I? Ma'am. And it was thought to be by Titian. And now it isn't? Not altogether, ma'am. I suppose that is part of your function, Sir Anthony, to prove that my pictures are fakes. Well, because something is not what it is said to be, ma'am, doesn't mean that it's a fake. It may just have been wrongly attributed. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, the two lads have scurried off because they're not allowed to be there. Yeah, they're hiding if, under a sofa, one of if, them is. Yeah. If, well, one, one's hiding by the sofa. The other one seems to hide behind a screen but then comes back in through a door. So he obviously finds an escape route. But he's obviously, he, but that's Jason Fleming's character and he's uh, Colin, who yeah. is obviously more well-versed at scurrying away from because yes. he works actually in the building. First in scurrying. Mm. But, but prior to that, we have this moment between the two boys, if you like, the two... Um, young men who are working now because one is a student of art and one is working as a restorer and and an expert and and it basically shows the difference between expertise and and learning yeah when he when he when he asks him specifically to look at the frame the back of the yeah. frame and and tell him everything he can see on it yeah and and to be fair i, I give i give him his credit jason fleming's character tries not to be too smug and superior but he's also got his do his job yeah so when um when when Phillips sort of kind of fails to really notice it's anything other than made of some wood, <laughs> he does say it's poplar. <laughs> yes, he does say it's probably because it probably is. Yes, yes. but uh, but then uh, Jason does have to step in. Yeah, uh, Colin does have to step in, and and that's when you realise actually that despite the fact that we may misjudge him based on his accent, and the interesting thing is that 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 uh, Blunt doesn't talk down to him yeah. because he's bloody good at what he does. Yeah. What about the frame? Uh, gilt. Old gilt or modern gilt? Um, I can't tell. Colin, any thoughts? Um, uh, modern. Modern, I'd say. Relatively, anyway. Um, the uh, glaze is generally well preserved. There is some worm, but there seems to be, seems to be very little retouching. Um, some holes have been filled, particularly round knots in the wood. Um, oh, and it is popular, actually. There's some retouching here, see? Uh, minute flaking along the outline of the angel's robe. A few uh, pentimentia visible to the naked eye. Most clearly on the fingers of the Virgin's left hand. Reserve judgment on the attribution, but a preliminary impression would suggest Sienna. Good. Phillips, the steps. So this is the point at which Tories like experts. Is that what we're saying? Because they don't anymore. I think, I think that Tory... Uh, I, I, well, I think it would be the fact that he he respects people who know what they're doing. Yeah. Um, Sorry, that was just and... a cheap dig. Ignore it. No, no, no. <laughs> it, 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 it's probably a very good cheap dig. But, um, you know. So the queen, the queen ends up handing him the tool that he needs, and yes. very game. game it's, a, it's, a, it's a glass, isn't it? It's his magnifying. Uh, it's glass, magnifying. Glass. Yeah, and she she does it very gamely, and she's quite happy to be to be to. To, to wrong foot him, of course. You must. That must be one of the few joys when you're the queen. It's happening upon people who don't expect you to turn up. I think if I was the queen, I'd do it deliberately a lot. I'd like mm. scurry around the ground, feel like to 
freak the heck out. <laughs> what what I I love about about that scene, apart from the fact that every every line in it is is very sharp, and, yes. you know, uh, again, it's one of those things where you just feel that we could just pause here and just play in the entire sequence because it's gorgeous, and there are so many lines full of pregnant meaning about about pe who people are. Yeah. But what I love about it is the way I don't I don't know if you noticed it, but how how whenever the the queen goes through a door, they star trekly open. It's wonderful. I love that too. <laughs> they even make that noise, and you've got no idea how they're opening, but it's not. Oh, you don't see the people. You don't see the people who are opening no. the doors. They just they just. Magically, magically open, open. <laughs> and know when she's walking towards them, like they're activated by her, by her mere regal presence. Yes, <laughs> brilliant. But the 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 discussion, it's just a nice touch. The dialogue she has with Blunt is just mm. so good and so amazing, and so credible. You believe mm. in it totally, even though, as Bennett himself said, I have no idea what Blunt and the Queen said to each other when they had their private consultations. But Indeed I not. think it's a very good. I, you know, suggestion. Of when he said, said, when he was exposed, didn't he? He said, basically in the interview or the preamble to the to the actual disc, he says, when when he was first exposed, he wrote a few notes of imagining what their conversation might have been. Yeah. And and so if, if if any of us could sort of write a few notes and turn it into this, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's it's nostalgia. He probably thought it was a sketch almost at first. You yeah. Know? I mean, c coming from uh, sketch comedy as he as he originally did. Yeah. I, you know, I don't necessarily think that he. he I mean. It was probably just an idea yeah on the back of a napkin or whatever yes. i don't imagine you know and 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 it turned into well art really ironically yes you know but um you know it's it's because it's quite an astonishing piece of work you know when she says about maybe if she was painted by francis bacon he'd have her hanging upside down yeah and and they talk about other other painters and the, and the favorite one being the one that looks most like a photograph and then how how people nowadays that's what they do they come they take a few pictures they go away and make the painting and and there was some guy who'd painted uh the pope and it was called the Scre Scre screaming pope and she says oh well if he did me i'd be the screaming queen <laughs> <laughs> yes i remember it <laughs> which is just a beautiful beautiful um yeah. touch and that's the lightness of touch that this dialogue has actually it's it's it it, it you know it just leaps around in in a in a beautiful way. Yes, in a really believable sort of small talk way. But the thing that's really interesting is, is she doesn't like chat. I like facts, mm. not chat. <laughs> oh yes, <laughs> I loved all that. I loved her line as well about I like things to have a line around them. She said at one point, which I really <laughs> thought summed up the fact that for me sums up how she likes things to be neat and sorted, and mm. her. And she likes facts. She doesn't want chat. Mm. She wants facts. And that's because she's... And it's interesting because you might think she'd have an aversion to facts because she just gets told facts all the time when mm. she's out watching people do things. Um, well, I think you get that impression that every time someone meets her, they've been they've 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 got three three little sound bites. Yes. <laughs> and they and they and they think, oh yes, this well this this is the room that was painted for your grandfather or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's just oh. But it, it also does give away the fact that she's spoilt, I think, and that she's, she, I think she knows that, but it's it's interesting. I mean, that stuff about, um, I think it was in the cellar, and, she, and he said, oh, no, Hampton Court, and she said, same thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I think it's an affectionate portrayal. Yes, I, don't know. I do. Because I think, I mean, I think, uh, interestingly enough, when you think about the 1990s, this is, I think the Queen, HMQ, was, shall we say, highly regarded 
then at this point in a way yes. that that six years later things Absolutely. you know with the whole Diana Precisely. kind of fell apart and portrayals of the Queen when you've got uh, Helen Mirren or whoever uh, you know have been shall we say less sympathetic. She's seen as a bit of bit of a bit of a stand-up comic in this, really. She is. Got lots of pithy one-liners and, and sharp as attack, and um, and, a, and a bit funny and a bit ha-ha, you know. And I don't know. I don't. I don't even know whether Alan Bennett's ever met the. I imagine he has. He would have done, yeah. You know, although uh, he's, he's not been served, has he? So maybe he turned that down. I don't know. I mean, I think that the core of this meeting is. Her Majesty's take on what portraits are supposed to be about showing one's real self. Um, and she asks him directly, have you had your portrait painted? So she's basically saying, would it reveal your true self? Are you a fake? Are you honest? Um, and she actually says, so we don't know whether you have a secret self. Um, well, this is it. I think it's it, so this, clever. At this stage, she she knows... I think she's been told. Yes. I think that's the thing. She knows all about it. And, and this just becomes wordplay about whether, you know, about, about fake, fakeness in people, in art, and whether she's an enigma, an, an enigma you know, and, and how he gives the, what was the expression? The sophisticated answer, not the honest answer. Yeah. You know, and all this kind of thing. Well, they seem to be terrible daubs. Well, obviously, one's no expert on Vermeer, but if I could tell they were fakes... Why couldn't other people see it at the time? When was it? In the 40s? It was in the 40s, ma'am, yes. And that's why you can tell. Because even the most brilliant forgery in time comes to seem old-fashioned. Interesting. I suppose, to the context of a painting matters. Its history and provenance, is that the word? Confer on it a certain respectability. This can't be a forgery. It is in such and such a collection. Its background and pedigree are impeccable. Besides, it has been vetted by the experts. Isn't that how the argument goes? So that if one comes across a painting with the right background and pedigree, Sir Anthony, it must be hard, I imagine, even inconceivable, to think that it is not what it claims to be. And even supposing someone in such circumstances did have suspicions, they would be chary about voicing them easier to leave things as they are, stick with the official attribution, rather than let the cat out of the bag and say, here we have a fake. I still think the word fake is inappropriate, ma'am. If something is not what it claims to be, what is it? An enigma? That is, I think, the sophisticated answer. Yeah. And this, and I think actually it's it's quite a mischievous, mischievous thing. But but there's a lot of stuff about if you've got respectability and the right sort of pedigree, you don't end up in clink. Thank you very much. Yes. You end up being allowed to can, have access can, to the queen still. Well, you can bypass it, can't you? And that, yes. Yeah. Mm. Mm. It's just it's just incredibly clever writing. I mean, that's 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 the thing about it. You know, it and it, and because you're now playing on on so many levels and so many subtexts. I mean. The fact that the, you've got this the whole painting thing going on, you've got the whole, we know he's a spy, we know the fact that they haven't worked out what kind of spy he was yet and all this kind of thing. It's 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 just fabulous writing, considering, like I say, this is, what, 70 minutes, you know I mean? It's interesting, I think, f from our point of view, we've, we've suddenly started doing the short-form one-off drama, really, yeah. uh, in the last, last few, uh, last, last, last one and the next one, I believe. We're going to do one-off 
uh, plays yeah. uh, for a f- for a few editions. Yeah, and and it just goes to show how incredibly clever the 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 short form drama can be. You know, yeah. it can be, it can be. Yeah, it's crap. But <laughs> you know, there are there are some really bad pieces out there that you sit there and what the hell was that? Interestingly enough, I watched a film at the weekend. Uh, which won lots of awards three years ago, called The Square. Have you seen The Square? No, I haven't. Swedish film. Swedish film. And uh, it's two and a half hours long, and at the end of it, you actually find yourself um, thinking, what the hell was that all about? <laughs> but that's all about galleries and art, and, and, and doesn't join up at all, ah. and it's two and a half hours long. And you actually feel that this is such a taut... Yes. ...and such a beautifully written piece. Yeah. And everything kind of makes sense, even though because of the nature of the story, like a lot of things in, in history, you know what the ending is. You know what the ending is going to be before you sit down and watch this thing. And yet it's it's just, it's spellbinding. It's, it's I mean, it, it, in terms of just two performances, it's absolutely spellbinding. Yeah. You know, two main performances, I mean, yeah. and lots of other, well, three, sorry, three, really. I mean, if you, if you, if you, because obviously you've got cold, colder yeah. as well. But, um, but, but that scene certainly with just two astonishing pieces of acting going yeah. on you know yeah. wonderful stuff and all the little bits and bobs that go on around it like the just the fiddling with the clocks and the and this one tells you that what time it is in australia or something and all perth that. australia yes perth. <laughs> yes yeah like, like the, the, those are two things you would you would uh, you need to know i presume if you want to watch the perth test match yes i, can, I couldn't you need think to know what time it started it was funny because it made me think because i have actually done some training sessions in Perth and I was thinking that's the only ever time I'd ne- needed to know the time in Perth and I probably would never need to know it again uh, is, is Perth one's, one of the ones that's on the half hour in Australia? Yeah, it's so far to the west that it's in it's completely, it's a, I think it's one of the cities mm. in its complete own time zone, it's the most yeah. isolated city in the world Wow. Yes, it's so bizarre This is a massive aside really, but but there's always this strange thing of when I've been on holiday to San Francisco is is the is the sense that you're getting up in the morning and everybody else that you know your work with yes. or at home is is just going to bed or is, or is just they're going home from work and you're just getting up and and I still don't understand how people live their entire lives like that and it still messes with me that I mean you've got sort of family haven't you that are living in New Zealand completely yeah. the opposite opposite half of the clock. I've, it, I've had it, to start it, so many training days in Australia and New Zealand when I know my family is going to bed in the UK, and that's a really weird thought. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It's, it is. Isn't it? I mean, I know that's a complete aside. From yeah, yeah, yeah. About, but it's, but it's, it's <laughs> it just, is weird. It just, it, it, and it's kind of, so why would somebody give the Queen a clock? <laughs> That does that. Maybe she's so, being. So is she being deeply sarcastic about its value? Oh, absolutely. Okay, yeah, yeah. You, you, <laughs> I'm being so slow today. Sorry. But you get presented with all these bits and pieces and knickknacks. Everywhere you go, people yeah. have to present you with this. Presumably, they don't even give it to you. You sort of hand it over to somebody, and you never see it again. Yeah. And then it turns up in your gallery. I mean, you know, to be fair, our house is a bit like that, but not in the same way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm surrounded by lots and lots of clutter, but no space to actually to to show it. So. Yeah. So, but it, it's kind of like you know, it, it's 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 a bit of a first world problem, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yes, it really like, is. It's almost like a zeroth world world problem. So the Perth clock, you know, unless you happen, <laughs> you, basically, whichever oik after the revolution ends up with the Perth clock, <laughs> it'll have to be someone who's got family in Perth. Yes, exactly. So, um, 
at the end, towards the end of the final act, it's about the re- realization that they're just going to name him because there's no value in not naming him. No. But what he's, is the ma- what's the machination? What is the machination behind naming him? Because it has to have v- wider value to them. I think it's just. I mean, it's this sense that they get more political value out of it. Uh, fundamentally, they 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 benefit from it, and it's just becoming a colossal waste of time. They know he'll never name the the uh, the people. Uh, or I mean, there, there's a whole thing going on, isn't there, about these photographs? I mean, you get lots and lots of. You also get um, a parallel thing where you get the photographs of the paintings when he's giving his his lecture. Um, uh, in the in the early part, which which interestingly enough, uh, when when he does that scene where he's showing the sides and he goes, this is about sexual intercourse, which we still do, and <laughs> and, and 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 this is crucifixion, which we don't do, and all this kind of thing, and uh, that's really showing off his superiority because uh, David Colt's character has arrived and sort of sat down in this lecture, but the. Um, I, I thought that was interesting because when we, ha- like again, it, like we've planned this, which I know we haven't planned this at all, but like we've planned this in the sense that we have lectures in the History Man. Yeah. We have lectures in Nice Work. And so suddenly we've got a different lecture going on. Yeah. And I just thought it was interesting that you actually take the three and, and compare and contrast. We seem to have. We seem to. Have, we're heading back to universities again, aren't we? Yeah. No. We inexorably, it seems. I, I just wanted mm. to comment on um, Fox's performance. It really does feel like there's been a, an awareness on Alan Bennett's part of of um, Blunt's peers who have des- who described mm. him as an intellectual prig, too preoccupied with the realm of ideas. Someone else mm. said he had too much ink in his veins and belonged to a world of rather prissy, cold-blooded academic puritanism. <laughs> I, mm. like, I like both of those descriptions because I think they really, they really explain what Blunt was about in this drama. Mm. Here is ploughing, which we now do mechanically. Here is sex, which we do mechanically also. <laughs> and here is crucifixion, which we do not do, nor do differently. Or do indifferently. It's a world in which time means nothing. The present overlaps the future. Did the saint but turn his head, he would see his own martyrdom through the window. Judas takes the pieces of silver in the temple at the same moment as in the next field he hangs himself. Christ begs God in the garden to save him from a fate that is already happening higher up the hill. Um, I'd just like to make a point, a correction to something I said earlier, which was that the fifth person was James Cairncross, who I think is actually an actor in Doctor Who. <laughs> <laughs> and it's actually John... You've got to get it in somewhere. It's John Cairncross. <laughs> I don't even know. If anyone can tell me who James Cairncross is, I think he may even oh, be he's... in Reign of Terror, but I don't know what that make well. I th- thought he's, well, I thought he's in the Dominators. <laughs> As it were, which which under the circumstances is probably unfortunate. That's so funny um, that I'm calling him James Cairncross and it's John Cairncross. Yeah. I've renamed the fifth the fifth spy. <laughs> Oops. Yes. Suddenly. Well, no, or is, or is he not? No, is he not Croton's man? Is he not Croton's man? The the. the oh, that suddenly sounds right. Yes. Yeah, so I've got it wrong. Dominators, I'm just obsessing with Dominators since I saw that picture of that <laughs> that guardsman. Oh, here we go. So he's Lemaitre in Reign of Terror. Oh, yeah. I was right. right. And Beta, who's the 
medical one in the crotons. Right. How funny. Oh, okay. okay. So I was right. Oh, the, oh, he's the one whose mask keeps slipping off his enormous nose. Right. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Which is massively appropriate for what we're doing at the moment, but yes. So James Cancross yeah. is a Scottish actor. He was not the fifth Cambridge spy. <laughs> oh, no. No, indeed not. No. <laughs> That is John, that is John Cairncross. Right. And I'm thinking of somebody completely different. So there we go. Okay. I've got myself com- Good. completely. I've just, my, my, my who points have, have dropped through the floor today. So there we go. <laughs> I think one thing that this drama has prompted me to do is definitely to watch Philby, Burgess and McLean, which is an adaptation from the 70s with Derek Jacobi. Mm. I mean, I don't know why I haven't watched it, for God's sake, because mm. it is available on DVD. Um, it w- it was also a world that uh, Bennett himself was quite eager on because he did Englishman Abroad. Yes, well, which is about Burgess, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. So, so it's obviously a world he he felt he wanted to return to. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. I could say the thing that fascinates me about Bennett. Uh, I mean, when you think about, like I say, doing Beyond the Fringe back in the sixties, but obviously a lot of his writing generally, is that he is, he is this very sharp and and very actually very rude i mean i think a lot of people were surprised by talking heads that actually how dark they get yeah you know i mean talking heads because talking heads was one of those things that they could do during lockdown wasn't it because yes. it didn't involve many actors uh but they couldn't do the um eld- elderly so no, and no one was going to remake thora let's be honest because i didn't watch them because i felt because I, I already knew them to be dark and quite searching and I didn't feel like watching them, but I, I have the originals and I watched them a lot when I was younger. Um, did they do the one about the child molester or did they not read it? Yes. They did. Yes, they did, yes. And and, and that's the that's, that's interesting because I think uh, Ben himself played that one from what I remember in the original. No, no, it wasn't. Uh, it was David Haig. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, right. So, so who was who was it to? Because, I, there was. No, you're right. The um, the one that, that Bennett did himself was redone by Martin Freeman. That's right. 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 But yeah, yeah. um, but uh, yes, they they did do the uh, the charmer, and I think people, the, it, I think people are surprised how how dark it goes. I mean, they also do ones about like domestic prostitution and what have you, and 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 so the subject matter is. When you when people think oh it's with all that bloody crap they did on Spitting Image about oh macaroons and oh mother and, all that stuff yeah. oh mother yeah. yeah you know it really really wasn't he doesn't write like that at no. all you know and like I say I mean you know I mean when when you when you've got a, a naked guardsman being projected onto onto a, an unsuspecting secretary yes. <laughs> secretary you know. It's uh, it's kind of a bizarre thing, but I have to say that I think I was very surprised, given that Bennett himself. I think we all were by that. No, question. no, no. I was surprised there wasn't more, given that Bennett himself is gay, and given that Blunt was bisexual, um, known to be. You know, there's an anecdote about him being with. I think Bennett tells him in the introduction of the DVD about being at one party when mm-hmm. he's with a, a girl at the start of the night and with a boy later yes, in the night. That's right. And yes. I was very surprised that that wasn't part of it. I was very surprised no. that there wasn't more of that and the fact that the guy who we got to go home and get dressed, that there wasn't more of a mm. of a homosexual element to it given given Bennett and given right. given the options within the script, given the options yes. within the character, but it just wasn't there. There was the suggestion that there was something slightly um, creepy about Blunt and those two guys, Colin and yeah. and whatever the other one was called. 
Blunt himself remains a fascinating figure, hated by some of his colleagues, adored by others. I never met or even saw him, but as with Guy Burgess, I feel more kindly towards him because he made such good jokes. He was bisexual, and at a party at the Court Old Institute, of which he was the director, a colleague saw him locked in the arms of one of his female students. Later on in the evening, the same colleague saw him still on the same sofa, but this time with one of his male students. Oh, Anthony, said the colleague, you're so fickle. I know, said Blunt, but remember, many a fickle makes a fuckle. Considering it was written in uh, 88, yeah. or, sorry, first performed in 88, yeah. I can't remember when the Romans and Britain thing Oh, that was 70s. Happened, yeah. But but I think you know, people might still have been tiptoeing about, right? You know, and also you know, the, you, you, I suppose you've you've got to sort of look at the era. Things were not as out as they are yeah, now. True. Uh, but but don't you I, think if it was I mean, if even... it was made today, they would def they, oh, they wouldn't be able to resist putting more in of that, would they? Well, no. I mean, they'd, obviously there'd be helicopters machine gunning <laughs> the windows of his house at some point <laughs> if, they made, if they made it now, and and. Uh, <laughs> And everybody would be naked all the time. I mean, come on, you know. Including the Queen. Including the Queen, yes. And and someone would come in and punch the Queen. It's, you know, there would be hand grenades, you know, and and those those two boys who were in the gallery would, would both get sort of, you know, there'd be a load of troops would come in and arrest them and have them against the... Oh, bollocks, I don't know. Have, have them against the Titian. Have them against the Titian, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Or, or behind, behind the behind the blind. Yeah. One of the things that uh, comes up in 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 terms of the the actual story is this this sense of uh, Blunt feeling protected. He's he's been offered he's been offered immunity uh, if he exposes all these other people, and they point out in amongst what they're talking about they actually point out that they offered him immunity but not anonymity and this has been held over this has been held over his head by uh presumably mi5 i'm assuming he's mi5 or mi6 i don't know yeah one of the one of the mi's anyway yes one of them mi2 it's rubbish it's the the, that's don't watch that film it's really bad (laughs) (laughs) mi6 have got this this idea and it suddenly becomes apparent too blunt at this this stage that they are starting to waver on this because because he's not been giving them the information they want they they're starting to say you know oh well you know yeah you're not in prison man you know i mean there's a bit where jeffrey palmer actually says that that he, he meets him at the athenaeum every day and he wouldn't mind him spouting off about this and that and the other or, or, or wasting their time if he was in prison but he's not and he's not in prison because he's supposed to be helping them out. And he's supposed to be helping them out by identifying these bloody spies. And he's not been doing any of it. <laughs> and, and, of course, the problem is that when, when you read the, the way Jeffrey Palmer's part is played or, or certainly implied, he, he actually doesn't want him to tell him because he's the guy. <laughs> of course. Which yeah. is lovely. Beautiful. Yeah. And so you almost conundrum. feel that that uh, that uh, the the twitches that uh, and and that uh, uh, James Fox uh, puts in are actually like oh hold on a minute well I might I might expose him 
Yes. How dare you take away my comfortable life and my, my life of art and privilege and, and this lovely house. It's a lovely house he lives in, isn't it? It's an absolutely gorgeous house yeah. he's got. You yeah. know? And, and let's face it, you know, most of the rest of us aren't living like that, are we? You know, so, so let's face it, he has been exposed as a spy and they have allowed him to carry on living this wretched life. Of, no, I'm saying wretched. I mean, delightful for him, life of privilege. And basically doing what the hell he wants and going to his parties and, and having his nice times and, and everybody telling how wonderful... I mean, people loved him, didn't they? People actually either... They really did. They loved him or they hated him. There, right. was, there, was, there, was, there was this real sense that the people who thought he was wonderful really thought he was wonderful. And so they're the ones... I mean, you think about his, his dear secretary. Yeah. His dear secretary, who 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 is play who, who, who plays secretary again? Uh, I don't know, but she's a snobby cow. <laughs> <laughs> I've met those types as well. And, Secretaries and James, to professors. And Jameson, though she's credited as blunt secretary, she doesn't actually get it. Part, but you know, she she she's the one who walks in when the the slide is projected on the wall and and does a, a, a rather wonderful double take. To be fair. Uh, which is which is quite quite nicely played, but uh, it's almost like. But she's sort of thinking. She actually, you get the impression that how dare this man be be this uh, uh, chub, uh, you know, uh, David Calder's character. How dare he be sort of interfering with with Sir Blunt's work, Sir Anthony's yes. work, and or even think, associate, or even associating yeah. it with him because all, he's just these, a yeah. All these people who are coming around and, and, and phoning up and how dare they interfere with the great work that this man is doing. And let's face it, what is the great work apart from being a bit snobby and, 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 and dismissing dismissing paintings and then going off to the Royal Academy and, and having a nice dinner and telling everyone how rubbish the rest of the plebs are? Yeah. Come on. Well, that's, that's, I, I, that's, in many ways, at, yeah. at that point, you actually think, you know, the bastard deserves to be brought down. Totally. <laughs> you know? Well, they all, I mean, they, you know, the rich being rich, being rich and breeding is what... But the irony of that, which I find fascinating, which is something we haven't really talked about, is, of course, that these people were all recruited in the 40s because they were all drawn to communist ideals. And that's yes. the irony. Because they wanted to see the Ruskies take over after the war. Yes. That's why they were passing them information, so yes. that communism would, would rule the day rather than rather than well, I guess rather than fascism but they also weren't keen on the 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 you know the government of the UK at that point so and yet the world that they ended up inhabiting the ones that didn't defect to Russia um what I'm particularly blunt is something that was absolutely capitalist and you know anti those ideals that were what got well, him recruited as a spy in the first place well, well it's interesting it's sort of between the between the wars you get you get the poshos who are drawn to fascism and you get the poshos who are drawn to communism yes and and the, the, again what seems to have happened what blunt or blunt's character seems to think is oh that was all a long time ago and it shouldn't matter anymore whereas of course in the real world you know the, the fact that these people were spies and were passing information to the enemy, and let's face it, the world we were living in in the 80s, uh, the Cold War era, a lot of the reason there was a Cold War at all was because of the things these people did. And yeah. obviously two of them... Did, did two of them scarper to Russia? Or did they, yes. Did only one? They, they did both. Burg Burgess and McLean, I think, both went they, there. They both went, yeah. That's yeah. what I was trying to remember. Yeah. I couldn't remember whether one of them sort of did himself in and the other one sort of escaped but um, but there's there's this whole thing about when he's talking about art, art doesn't evolve 
but but uh, politics evolves and, yeah. and, uh, and 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 art doesn't progress and politics progresses and yeah, I he suppose says, art has no person. art has no goal he said yes. didn't he? Yeah. and i'm a cha- so i'm a changed man i'm a different person therefore none of that is relevant anymore why should it matter and one of the reasons i think he's not identifying people because he thinks it was all a long time ago and it really doesn't matter whereas of course if if your if your government and if your security services are absolutely rife with spies and traitors <laughs> you know it's actually very important yeah it does matter <laughs> Yeah. Ha ha. What a sod, eh? What an absolute sod. I mean, it's fascinating with the people, what people do to justify things to themselves and and how they justify. Because let's face it, he was living a bloody comfy existence at, at, at the behest of, presumably, of the taxpayer in, in yeah, that sense. Yeah, totally. And, and the people were allowing him to live this privileged life and the people were not allowed to know that he was a spy. And that was for 15 years. He confessed mm. to being a spy in 1964. Mm. And so presumably he went in and basically said, uh, I'll, I'll confess to being a spy as long as you don't prosecute me and as long yeah. as I get away with it. Thank yeah. you very much. And again, when, when you're in a, a political situation like we are where people seem to think it's all right to break certain laws because they say... All laws. Or, yes... Uh, you know, just because they say it is, yeah. You know, you've got. I mean, you've. I mean, that's Nixon. You know, when the president, yeah, when the president does it, it's not illegal. You've got yeah. now our lot uh, over the whole European treaty thing. Yeah, we shouldn't. We shouldn't get too too heavily sort of sidetracked by that. But when the 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 people in charge think that that breaking the law is fine, you yeah. as the people. Yeah. If you get arrested for something, you say, well, it's all right to break the law if it's in a limited and what's it way, you know? You start to think that your society is actually start This division in society will not stand. Absolutely. And people will not stand for it. But that's what's interesting to see what happens next in this post-truth world. Well, not interesting, Ooh. terrifying. Because terrifying, if, anyone can break, if anyone can break the rules and it doesn't mm. matter, then... Then the, the rules don't matter anymore. Yeah. If the rules don't matter anymore, you know... The next time you go out for the day and someone comes in and steals all the food out of your kitchen, that's fine too. Because doesn't matter. They can, you know, it doesn't matter if they come up to you in the street and punch you in the face and no, because you disagree with them. And that is where society really does start to break down and that's where we have problems. And this is why people like Blunt, who genuinely, genuinely thought that they should be allowed to get away with stuff, really, really, that's why these are stories that need to be told. Yeah, it's the thin end of the wedge and that's, yeah. Indeed. Gosh, good stuff or bad stuff, but I'm glad we said it. <laughs> I enjoy these talks. But eyebrows are beginning to be raised. The phrase stringing you along has been mentioned. You're frightened you're going to go the way of your predecessor. I'm planning to replace you. Someone else on the job? The third man? No, I think we might just call it a day. Name you. I was promised immunity. Yes. But as I said before, not anonymity. Anyway. Gosh. Yes. Yes. Have we anything? More? I don't know whether we've 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 covered it. I think we have. Uh, there is something to be said about the direction, the uh, the, the the very last scene, 
and he's clearing his desk and he's clearing his his lovely books away and he keeps counting his books and make sure they're all there you know and and he's about to go and he walks to, and it's a beautiful aerial shot of the stairs yeah. where the students just sort of he's walking down the stairs to the front door and and all the and some students spot him and you see them oh that's him that's him yeah, yeah. and doing all that stuff and that's just a beautiful aerial shot and then you sort of go down and and you and you get uh, poor old uh, Julia St John as the receptionist. It's, it's a cough and a spit. She does sort of two scenes where she's answering telephones. But bless her, you know. But uh, again, say a lot about the fact that look, I just I'm not talking about that today. Yes. <laughs> so you know the press are out there. Yeah. The pack yeah. are waiting. The pack are waiting to pounce. Yeah. As they will, and you know you go through the building with Blunt, and then basically. The door opens and you, you've got all these cameras in the, the reporters in his face and you freeze frame as, as one just lights him up, which is presumably the picture that was in the, the papers, papers yeah. the next day when he was exposed. Yeah. But uh, just beautifully played, beautifully shot. I mean, John Schlesinger, you know, movie director of the first rank, but just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. And when you consider, you know, TV movie, when all said and done, beautifully beautifully framed and shot that yeah yeah we should also mention Innes Lloyd because unfortunately um Innes, yes yes uh, Doctor Who fans can you think the best thing or the best known thing he ever did was produce Doctor Who for a bit um he did mm. bring in Troughton which of course was important but um mm. in terms of work and art I would argue that the stuff he did with Alan Bennett is the stuff he should mm. really be remembered for all the talking heads Absolutely. and this and various other things because he was just a long-term collaborator with Bennett wasn't he I think we we mentioned this in a previous edition didn't we what was who was that actress you said who was most famous for being a stunt double <laughs> on the beach and this is the thing some, sometimes certain fandoms can can just they just dismiss everything else somebody has done <laughs> yes. and uh, Debbie, and Debbie Watling stunt double yeah, yeah. and then this Ennis Lloyd was basically was a stepping stone wasn't it, it was a stepping yeah, stone yeah totally to, to it was part of a, a very long and very illustrious career, and and you could almost argue possibly the person who who rose to the giddiest heights. I mean, you could argue Verity, but of of the people who who produced that program, the what you know who who went on to high office, as it were. Yeah. I was <laughs> uh, I was remember the story that that really made me think about this is um when Pennant Roberts was honoured. Um, it, mm. at Welsh BAFTA, the Welsh chapter of BAFTA, right. and Russell T Davies tells this story that um, that what they projected on the screen to represent this was the target novelisation cover of Warriors of the Deep. <laughs> <laughs> and you think, no, oh. Pennant Roberts was so much more than that. I mean, no, no reference to starting Tenko off or all the other amazing things he did, mm. and he's just remembered as fucking director of Warriors of the Deep. I'm sorry, yeah. no. Have you have you done Warriors yet, by the way, on your other in your other life? <laughs> no, I, I don't think I've got the energy. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to talk about. I tend to avoid Ian well, McCulloch as well, much as I can. Maybe if I have a guest from... on it, I'll do that one. <laughs> oh, maybe. That would be quite fun. Do you want to come on the Warriors of the Deep one? That would be fun. We'll do that. Maybe. So yes, we should say just run off on Innes Lloyd. It, this was actually dedicated formally to Innes Lloyd because he died the it same was. year in 1991. Yes. Mm. So um, we can't end without saying about the line that it's most f famous for, which was. Well, I was talking about art. 
I'm not sure what the chi was. So, we have been talking about art, and I'm sure mm. we were. <laughs> but that is a question of attribution done and dusted. Mm. We can hang it up. Yeah. We can well, hang we it up so. in the podcast gallery. I've, I felt I was in a very vague mood today. Maybe I was just pretending. Maybe I was pretending. That was the thing. I think maybe you were faking I, I, it. Maybe I was sat here being sharp, sharp as a tack, and I was sat here drawing my drawings and actually not paying any attention to what we were talking you're, about. You're just all. an Iken, Iken Pearly. Oh well, yes. I, 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 th- I think I think everybody knows I'm an Oik Korean. I think it's uh, it, it's it's, uh, it's 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 that's no secret. I'm, I'm, I may I may only I may only be the fourth Oik, but <laughs> but my my painting is hidden behind the other three paintings. And, oh, is it? And clever. Uh, and deep deep down, you know, I may be the fifth Oik. <laughs> yeah. So next time. Oh. We return. I think we're doing another one-off. We, 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 we are. Return, yes. Where are where are we now? A B C D. <laughs> I think it, I think I think it, I believe it's R. Gosh, the letter R. Well done. Yes, and I think it may mean that we are returning, uh, returning to someone whose work we've looked at previously. Yes, we are. Wonderful. Okay. Well, that's... ready or not. Yes. Yeah, indeed. That's a bit of a clue. Clue. <laughs> clue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sir. Um, yep. I'm glad that we've managed to clear up the that James Ken Cross was not the fifth spy. <laughs> if you've learned nothing else from the last hour and a half, <laughs> a, qu- we, a question of attribution. A question of attribution, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe we're all just, it's all smoke and mirrors. Incorrect attribution. Mm. Maybe James Ken Cross was <gasps> the fifth one. Gosh. Anyway. Goodbye, sir. You take care, and I will speak to you soon. Yeah, likewise, sir. Bye. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was just taking a swig of water. Bye. <laughs> That's staying in. <laughs> oh. Listening to an A to Z of UK TV drama with Andy and Martin. Next time, ready when you are, Mr. McGill.
Still, we're off to Zambia next week, so that will cushion the blow. 